Good morning. Like I said earlier, we are so incredibly excited that each and every one of you guys are here with us this morning, whether you're checking us out online from around the state of Ohio, around the country, around the world, or you find yourself here with us for the very first time or the hundredth time right here in this room. We could not be more excited that you're here with us as we launch into this brand new series that we are calling I'm In. And I'm so ridiculously excited for this particular series because I believe that we as a church are entering into an incredibly exciting series that holds incredible potential for us individually as well as us collectively. And really, this season for us as Core Community Church really began last weekend. Many of you had an opportunity to be involved, and I absolutely am blown away that this is year number nine of Stand for Shelby. But Stand for Shelby was really birthed nine years ago out of this belief, that we believe that the local church should be known more for what it's for than what it's against. And what would it look like for us to be a church that's willing to put our money where our mouth is, to stand in the gap for the sake of our city, that we're willing to to spend a weekend not doing church in a building, but becoming the church for the sake of our city. And every single year, it's brought new facets to it, but it's remained alive through COVID and everything that happened in that season. And every year, it's gotten just a little bit bigger and a little bit better. And this year, it, it was no different. Over 225 volunteers showed up to give of their blood, sweat, tears, and energy on one day at over 32 project sites, sites that are still growing as people in need in our city see the pictures, hear the stories, and wonder if we could come to their house as well as they're in need to continue landscaping and trimming bushes. But it was an opportunity for us to stand for our city in a really big way, for us to be a church that's about serving people without expecting anything in return. And so many of y'all make that possible. And yet we find ourselves coming off of that into an incredibly exciting season filled with some incredible things. Things like global impact, expansion, and the opportunity to not only dig deeper into our present care point, but to explore some opportunities at a launch, at a brand new care point around the world in Africa to come behind and to launch an organization that stands in the gap for people in need in Africa. Things like community impact expansion. And this reality that right here in our city, we sit in a month in which we're getting ready to to launch our community outreach center that we are calling the Dream Center. An opportunity for us to be about our city and to serve our city in ways that nobody else is serving our city. And to build a bridge that's one day strong enough to bear the weight of truth by just loving people where they're at and meeting needs in people's lives. And something that frankly just a few years ago seemed like a ridiculous dream here we sit today, and it still seems a little bit like a ridiculous dream, that we get ready to launch a 37,000-square-foot facility just for the sake of serving our city to the best of our ability and pushing our chips into the middle. And we said from the very beginning, we may fail at this. This may come crashing down because it's this huge only God thing in our story that we're chasing. But we'd rather push our chips into the middle and go down trying than to have never tried 
at all, as well as an opportunity for us to really launch our first full school calendar year right here in this facility. And there are some incredibly exciting things that are coming around the corner that we believe that God can use to do some incredible things in our city, in your lives, in your workplaces as we embark on our first at the movies in this building, our first Christmas Eve services in this building, and an opportunity for us to stand in the gap and to step out in courage and to invest and invite people to be a part of things like that. I saw this statistic this week on social media. It was talking about people coming to church for the very first time. And it said that 86% of people choose to attend church for the very first time or to check out a church, not because of social media advertisements, not because of pictures that they've seen. They choose to come because somebody invited them to come. And here we sit, embarking on this first season in this facility with such incredible opportunities before us to be willing to jump in and invest and invite people to be a part of some things that are going on around here. And in light of all of those things, what I believe with all of my heart is this, is that within this season, our choice to be courageous enough to say I'm in, to to take a step deeper, to do just a little bit more, to take a risk, will ultimately determine the level that we go to personally, the growth that we experience personally, but also the growth that we experience and the impact we experience organizationally. You see, the ironic thing in our lives is that those two things actually go hand in hand. That as organizations or movements find themselves growing, that ultimately our personal growth is dependent upon our willingness to say, I'm in alongside of those things. But also... As individuals choose to say, I'm in, the impact of organizations and movements grows on the back of people being willing to say, I'm in. That in this season, we have this incredible opportunity, this potential that lies out in front of us, both personally and organizationally, that we're going to lean into over the course of the next four weeks. And you see, what I believe with all of my heart is this is that the reason why we're talking about this over the course of the next four weeks is because deep inside of every single one of us as humanity, there exists this desire to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. But as much as there's this desire that exists inside of every single one of us as humanity to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, there also exists this desire for us to be passionate about something, for us to be on fire about something in our lives. It's the reason why many times for many of us, something like sports fandom is so captivating. Because there's this desire that exists inside of us to be passionate about something and to team that passion with being a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And yet what we oftentimes recognize somewhere along the way when we latch on to something like sports fandom is that the things that are bigger than ourselves within this world like sports fandom ultimately lack one key ingredient. And that key ingredient is purpose. Meaning. You see, when our team is winning and everything is going well, we find ourselves easily attaching ourselves to that. 
And yet, for many of us, what we've come to learn is that when our team stops winning, those of us who are Browns fans know this all too well, it becomes evident really quickly that our support leaves very little impact behind our ability to be involved with that organization or that movement. And yet, what if I told you That within every single one of our reaches, there lies an opportunity for us to invest ourselves into something that's bigger than ourselves, something that has meaning and purpose, and also something that could contribute to our individual personal growth within our lives, something that could bring meaning and purpose to our stories and our futures simply by saying, I'm in. And over the course of the next four weeks, We're going to look at four different areas that you and I, both personally and collectively, have an opportunity to say, I'm in, that I'm invested, I'm invaluable, I'm influential, and I'm invited. And that by saying I'm in, in each of those four areas of our lives, that our stories drastically change from this day forward. That we find, like that opening song talked about, that we find this fire that's been ignited inside of us. That we've latched on to something that's bigger than us, but ultimately something that's making an impact in the world around us. And ultimately, we see our lives change direction around that passion and that fire that's been stoked around one simple response. Amen. But in order for us to be able to engage within this series and to leave our skepticism behind us, what I want us to understand and believe is this, is that this series is birthed out of this desire from us as core community church, from us as a staff, and from me as the lead pastor here. That this series is about us wanting something for you, not something from you. That we want you to experience a richer and more satisfying life. That we want you to experience meaning and purpose. That we want you to experience the greatness of taking one step closer to Jesus Christ in your story and in your life. And ultimately the repercussions that happen from that courageous step to take one step closer. That ultimately this series is about getting something for you, not getting something from you. But in order to get us to the point where we're willing to say, I'm in, what we understand is that there is a hurdle that exists in every single one of our lives that prohibits us oftentimes from saying, I'm in. Especially when it comes to our willingness to say, I'm in to an organization like the local church, or I'm in just a step further, a little bit deeper in my relationship with Jesus, if you consider yourselves to be a Christ follower. And that thing that oftentimes holds us back or prohibits us from saying I'm in within the church or within our relationship with Jesus is ultimately this, that I'm not good enough. That within my life and my story, Ben, if you knew my story, what you'd quickly realize is that my past paints a picture of me never being good enough. I'm not possibly good enough to be invited into a story of something bigger than myself, of something that makes an impact on the people around me, of something that could change my life for the better. You see, for many of us, the perception that we've got along the way from the local church that maybe we've grown up in or people that we know who claim to be Christ followers is this, 
As that in order for us to be invited, in order for us to be accepted, there is this bar that our lives have to reach, that we have to live up to, that we have to get our acts together. And what we've all come to realize is this, is that that invisible bar that's been set within our lives and our stories of where we have to get to, to be accepted by God, is a bar that seems nearly impossible for us to ever reach. And so somewhere along the way, we've just deemed that the most necessary step is for us to simply give up. It's for us to believe the truth that we can never be good enough. This myth that that we've been fed within our lives that we'll never measure up and we'll never reach that bar. And so maybe it's just best for me to stop trying. Or maybe for some of us, As we've been a part of the local church or we've seen the church from a distance, what we've come to believe is that the church seems awfully exclusive. And everything we've ever heard about the church or Christianity or this guy named Jesus makes us feel as if we'll never measure up and we'll never be included. And the crazy thing is this, is that oftentimes the local church has done a disservice to us by perpetuating that myth. Just a few weeks ago, one of our delivery guys came in with a bunch of packages that they were dropping off for the Dream Center. And as he came in and we were sitting in our offices, he struck up a conversation by just simply asking questions about CORE. He began to ask questions about like what the church is like and what do I have to wear if I were to ever show up around there and what's expected of me and my wife if we ever choose to come. And as we had a conversation with him, we quickly learned where these questions were rooted. He began to tell us a story that for a good portion of their their lives, him and his wife had attended this church. And when they started going to, to this church one Sunday when they walked in, someone from the church pulled him and his wife aside. And they walked them into the church office and sat them down and they looked at him and his wife and specifically at his wife and they said, hey, we want you to know that you're more than welcome to stay. But if you choose to stay, what you need to know is that around here, we dress appropriately. And his wife had walked into church on that Sunday morning with a skirt that was just below her knees. And they walked over to the lost and found box and pulled an ankle-long skirt out and said, if you want to stay, here's appropriate attire for you to put on to be able to stay. But if you choose to continue wearing what you wear, then you don't need to stay. And he looked at us as we were having this conversation with seemingly total strangers, and he said, that's the last time we've ever stepped foot in a church. And in the moment, y'all, that absolutely broke my heart. Because that, y'all, doesn't reflect the heart of Jesus. Because that, y'all, isn't what the local church is supposed to be. That's not the message that the local church is supposed to be sending. 
Because if you've felt rejected by the world, rejected by people, or even rejected and hurt by the local church, Jesus tells a different story in your life than any of that. You see, when Jesus, the God of the universe, put on flesh and walked onto the pages of history, the story he wrote was not a story of exclusion. You see, the story that he began to write and tell that reverberates throughout every single one of our stories 2,000 years later is simply this that Jesus invites the people that others reject. That Jesus is in the business of inviting the people that others reject. That if you've ever felt rejected by the world around you, you felt like there's no way that you could possibly be worthy of being a part of God's plan, an invitation to Jesus' love or the story of his church. You don't have to look any further than the countless stories of the life of Jesus to see that that just flat out isn't true. You are invited when others have rejected you. You're invited when you don't feel like you're good enough. You're invited when your past tells a story that you're not exactly proud of, that you have been invited regardless of whether or not the world around you invites you, includes you, accepts you or not. You see, this myth that you had to have it all together to be invited by God isn't new. In fact, it was something that ran rampant. It was perpetuated by the local church 2,000 years ago until the God of the universe put on flesh and showed the contrary. See, one day when Jesus was rising in popularity, the religious leaders began to take notice of this new teacher, this new rabbi that people were clinging to, coming by the thousands to listen to. And one day, one of those religious leaders, a Pharisee by the name of Simon, got this bright idea that because Jesus was rising in popularity, the way in which for him to rise in popularity was for him to become associated with Jesus. And so he threw this party, and he invited Jesus to come to this party at his house. But in your mind, when you paint this picture of what a party looks like in present day, it is nothing like what a party would have looked like that a Pharisee would throw. You see, when a Pharisee threw a party, this was an opportunity for the religious leaders to show off. Now that I say it, maybe it's not that different from the, some of the parties that you've been to. But in this particular party, when the Pharisees would invite the guests, they would choose to select only the upper tier guests. They would only invite the best of the best, those who they wanted to be seen by or those who could possibly elevate their status. And within this party, what would happen is this. They would invite everyone to their house and you would walk in the doors and essentially the party would turn into a dialogue party that there would be a couple of Pharisees who would sit around and they would begin to talk. And the goal was that you would sit there and listen and be amazed by their knowledge of the scriptures and of God. It was an opportunity for them to show off religiously and spiritually how much better they were than you, how much more knowledgeable they were than you, how much closer to God they were than you. But at this particular party... Someone entered who would have never been invited by their standards. We find this story in the book of Luke, chapter 7. 
If you haven't done so already, it's a perfect opportunity for you to grab that weekly that you were handed when you came in. And if you crack that open, what you'll find is a notes page that we've designed specifically for you to help you follow along. Maybe you brought your Bible with you, and if you did, you can crack that open to the New Testament. It's the third account of Jesus' life, an account written by Luke that we find in the New Testament. Or if that's not your style, everything will come up on the screen for you as well. But here is how this story goes when an unexpected guest, an uninvited guest, entered onto the scene of this party with Jesus. In verse 37, it says, When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Here was this woman who heard that Jesus was attending this party in Simon's house. And ultimately, she knew that she had to see Jesus. Now, 2,000 years later, in our modern translation, they've cleaned up this woman's background by simply translating it as a certain immoral woman. But what scholars tell us is that in writing this, the woman who actually entered the party was a woman who was known to have frequented the red light district. Her occupation was as a prostitute. And because of that, this woman would not have been invited to to this sort of party. In fact, this woman would have found herself on the lowest rung of society, consistently being told that she was not good enough because of what she did, because of what she's done in her life. And yet here she was, knowing that she had to see Jesus, and with her walking into this party that she seemingly didn't qualify for, hadn't been invited to, didn't live up to the standards of the rest of the party guests, she brought with her this alabaster jar that was filled with expensive perfume. And here is what she chose to do with it. Then she knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. In this moment, she was overcome with emotion. Because undoubtedly, what she knew is that every guest looked at her, they looked at her with incredible judgment. She was filled with shame and guilt because she knew that everybody else recognized who she was, where she came from, and how unworthy she seemingly was. And as she began to weep, she found herself on her knees at Jesus' feet. Now, many of you have heard me talk about this, but I think it's necessary for us to set the context and for us to understand exactly what's taking place here. You see, in ancient Roman culture, one of the dirtiest parts, if not the dirtiest part of the body, and some of you are like, it hasn't changed 2,000 years later, I still think they're disgusting, was the feet. Because in ancient Roman culture, in order to travel from one city to another city, ultimately, most roads would have been simply paved with dirt. And 2,000 years ago, if you were wealthy enough to be able to afford it, Upon your feet, you would wear sandals everywhere you went. But for many people, they were not even wealthy enough to purchase and wear sandals, and so they would travel barefoot. And you can imagine, in ancient Middle Eastern culture, the climate there most days would reach 100 plus degrees. And you would walk 
miles upon miles every single day. Not just to get from city to city, but to travel to the well, to get your water, to travel to the market, to get your food for the day. There was no stocking up with a week's worth of groceries for your entire week because there was no way to store those things. And so you'd literally go day by day traveling to get your food, traveling to get your water. And ultimately, you can imagine, right, when someone traveling everywhere by foot and over 100 degrees, what would start to happen? You would begin to sweat. And when the sweat from all over your body mixed with dirt, what would it create? There would be mud all over your feet and inside of your toenails. And within ancient Roman culture, for wealthy residents or homeowners, they would find themselves a servant. A servant whose lone job was that when people would enter their household, they were charged with washing people's feet. Not simply as a servant to other people entering their home, but also to keep their home clean. To not bring all the mud and all the toe jam into their house. There's a story that we now know later. Jesus subjected himself to that before his disciples. A servant's job of washing their feet. And yet on this night at this party... An uninvited, seemingly uninvited guest found herself at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet with her tears. But not just that. She found herself also bathing his feet with this expensive perfume. And you're probably thinking, like, what are we talking, like $39.99 JCPenney here? Like, what kind of perfume she got going on? Scholars tell us that the alabaster jar that this immoral woman brought to this party filled with expensive perfume would have been the equivalent to a year's worth of wages. You see, not only was this woman on the lowest rung as it pertained to the way in which society looked at her because of her occupation, but ultimately what we know about ancient Roman culture is that because of her occupation, she also would have found herself on the lowest rung of socioeconomic status within the ancient Roman world. She would literally be living day to day, paycheck to paycheck, dare I say, service to service to figure out whether she was going to have food to eat for her next next meal. An alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume that was the equivalent to a year's worth of wages would have wiped away many of this woman's concerns. She would have known that she had the next meal coming, where to get the money to pay for, for what she needed in her life. It would have solved many of her issues, and yet she found herself in this moment using what was most precious to her to take a step closer to the Messiah, to her Savior. And as she did this, this is what ran through the mind of the party host. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Now notice within this passage, the verbiage is very specific. Simon, the Pharisee, said this to himself. He did not say this out loud. These were simply thoughts that were rattling around in his brain. But ultimately, Simon was thinking this. 
There is no way that this man should be allowing this woman to be in his presence, let alone to be touching him. And that sentiment was probably birthed from this level of anger that this man was feeling. Who invited this girl into my party? That the status of my party has ultimately declined because this woman is now in our presence. And what servant am I going to have to fire because they allowed her through the door and into the party where she was seemingly uninvited to? But then Jesus did the unthinkable. He addressed the thoughts in Simon's head the thoughts that were unspoken about the way his kingdom works and the way that his church was supposed to work. In verse 44, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You see, immediately Jesus addressed this place in Simon's mind that many of us find ourselves in this very moment. He addressed this place of complacency that Simon found himself in on the back of this belief. I'm good enough. I've done enough. I've invested enough. This comparison game that ultimately we play, that when we look at other people, I've invested more than them. I've done more than them. I'm better than them. I don't have as much of a checkered past as them. And we play the good enough game that keeps us in this place in which we feel based upon our pride that we don't need to take a step forward. And yet Jesus comes head on, right in the middle of this guy's pride, right in the middle of this guy's complacency, right in the middle of his thoughts of, I'm good enough, I've done enough, I've been coming to church for the last 50 years of my life, that's enough. And he says, here is this woman who was seemingly uninvited to the party. And I'm making it known that because of her willingness to say I'm in, she's taking a step past you. He continues. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. And then Jesus finishes in this way. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus turned and said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. You see, in this moment, this woman charges into this party, having to see Jesus. And yet in order for us to understand her urgency, to accurately set the context, we have to go back to what took place just a few hours before this. Earlier in Luke chapter 7, Luke tells the story of Jesus coming to this woman's hometown, Capernaum. 
And as he enters the town, as happens in most of the towns he enters, the crowds begin to gather. And Jesus begins to teach in front of these crowds in Capernaum for the very first time. And undoubtedly, this woman was in the crowd listening to this man speak and introduce a kingdom that had never been seen by this world. And as Jesus concluded his talk in front of all of these people that afternoon, he began to talk about John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And he began to set the stage at what an incredible man John was. And ultimately, you can just see Jesus addressing the Pharisees who didn't believe that Jesus was who he says he was and ultimately didn't believe that John was who he says he was either. Here was John, this incredible man with incredible attributes, and he was a prophet who had come to prepare the way for the Savior. Here was John, who had done all of these incredible things, was one of the best men to ever walk on this earth, and seemingly Jesus, with everything he was speaking, was setting John on this pedestal in front of all of the listeners. And yet as Jesus came to the end, he turned the tables and changed everything for everyone listening, and yes, for all of us 2,000 years later. As he put John on this pedestal, the last line that he said was this, and even the least of you will be greater than he. He was this prophet, the one who had come to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Jesus had the gall to say, and even the least of you, even those of you who are broken and a mess and have checkered past, even you in my eyes will be greater than he. Even you are invited to sit at the table of the king, the king who had come to change the order of things, to introduce an upside down kingdom that the world had never seen, was seemingly saying that even the least of you have been invited by me, that no matter where you are, what you've come from, what you're going through, that I'm extending my invitation. And you see, when this woman heard that, her life, her story, her future was changed for forever. Shame didn't change her. Guilt didn't change her. Here was a woman who had been shamed and guilted for most of her entire, her adult life by the religious system. She had been told how she would never measure up, never be good enough. In fact, the likes of her were not welcome even in the synagogue. They were not welcome to come into the local church. And ultimately, in this woman's story, what she came to conclude is something that maybe you've come to conclude in your past as well. That if I'll never be good enough and I'll never measure up, then maybe it's the easiest route if I just walk away from God altogether and I just walk away from the local church altogether. You see, for some of us, when we look at our past, we see all kinds of moments that produce shame and guilt. And there have been moments along the way where that shame or that guilt has produced a desire to change. Maybe even steps of change within our lives. And yet what we've also recognized is that as we've been moved to change on the backs of things like shame and guilt, those things eventually run out. 
Shame and guilt will always lose its luster in all lives and within all stories. There will always come a point in which shame and guilt no longer suffice for the change that we want to have in our lives. And we ultimately determine that I'll just never be good enough, and so it's time to just stop trying. It wasn't shame and guilt that changed this woman's life and changed her story. invitation to more, an invitation to better, an invitation that was unexpected and upside down for the world and the religious system that she had experienced for all of her life. What we learn from this story and where this story collides with all lives and all stories is this, is that my past has no bearing on my invitation your past has no bearing on your invitation. That whoever you are, whatever you've come from, that the God of the universe is inviting you to more. And if this is the heart of Jesus, the church should reflect that heart. That invitation that strikes straight to the heart of the worst of me, the worst of Ben Carver, and the worst of you, should reverberate through these walls. It should be a place that has a dress code. Please do. Just wear something. It should be a place where it's okay to not be okay. It should be a place where we don't feel included in spite of our messes, but because of our messes. This is an invitation that changed everything then and can change everything now in your story and in my story when we recognize what we've been invited to, what the invitation that's been extended really is. You see, Jesus lays out the promise of his invitation regardless of where you are. Matthew writes this. Come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Souls that are weary and burdened and stricken with feelings of guilt and shame from our past. Souls that are weighed down with the belief of pride. And I'm good enough, have done enough, invested enough, and better than the person sitting across from me or beside me. I will give you rest for your soul. In Matthew 22, there's this incredible parable that Jesus tells, a parable of a king who's inviting guests to his party. And the king begins to make his invitation list and send his servants out to personally invite all of the guests. As he begins to, to make his guest list, he makes a guest list that fits right in line with what the culture would expect. And invited to the king's party is the best of the best. 
the upper tier. And yet as the servants travel out to extend the invitation to the king's table, to the king's party, what they find is that all of the guests that have originally been invited determine that there's too much on their schedule, that they have better things to do than to go to the king's party. You know, the king's invitation list doesn't stop there. He proceeds to invite the deaf and the blind and the lame and the broken. He proceeds to invite the people who have a past that has been checkered by mistakes and shortcomings. And from this very parable, we see the heart of Jesus revealed in every single one of our stories, a heart that gives us hope regardless of where we find ourselves. And it's this, that when it comes to Jesus' invitation to more, it has been extended to all of us, regardless of where we are. That if you walked in here believing that there's no way God could love you, no way that God could accept you, believe the lies that actually the enemy who hates you has continually fed you, that you will never be worthy, the myths that just aren't true, that Jesus is extending an invitation to you. Maybe you walked in here and what you're experiencing actually isn't anything like that. You see, maybe the danger that you keep bumping into in your story is that oftentimes we think we've arrived. That we're good enough. And that we've bought into the myth that we've reached the destination. We've done enough. We're engaged enough. We've done more than this person or or that person. Step forward, invested more than them. That we're way more in than somebody else. And the truth is, is we all walk in here someplace different on on this spectrum of of our buy-in when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. And yet what I believe with all of my heart is that regardless of where you walk in here, you walk in here having walked away from Jesus, you walk in here having gone to church for 50 years of your life, that wherever you are, today you're being invited to more. That wherever you are, today, you're being invited to more. You're being called to take another step. You're being called to something deeper. You're being invited to get a little deeper in the fire, to get a little hotter, to give a little more, to find a little more meaning, to stoke that waning passion to make a greater impact. This journey is one that you've been invited to. You must know that first. But what you also must understand is this, is that when you choose to engage, you discover a greater purpose and a greater meaning for your life and your future. You discover a richer and more satisfying life. You discover a way in which you can become different and a way in which you can make a difference. See, regardless of where you are, What I believe with all of my heart is that your future and where you go from here, both personally and for us organizationally, is determined by whether or not we are courageous enough in this moment to say I'm in. That no matter where I am, what I've come through, 
whether I've been led to believe by the local church that I'll never be good enough and I'm finally for the first time seeing that that just flat out isn't true, or I walk in here believing the myth that, that I am good enough and I've done enough and invested enough and I'm good right where I'm at, that this is the day where you are being invited to more, to experience something greater, to make a greater impact, to be a part of something that catches your heart on fire, to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself, a desire deep inside of you that this world can never quench, but that our Savior, the one who has extended the invitation, promises to help quench. So the question that remains is this. If you've been invited to more, are you courageous enough to say I'm in? Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, God, it is unbelievable, unfathomable, no matter who we are, where we are, what we've come through, that you invite us to more. Not because you want something from us, but because you want something for us. You want us to experience a richer and more satisfying life. You want us to live a life of purpose and meaning. You want us to experience a life that makes an impact, that's a part of something that's bigger than us, but ultimately has purpose. And yet God, experiencing that, quenching that desire that exists inside of all of us as humanity, dependent upon our willingness to say amen. You've invited us. No matter where we are, you're inviting us to one step closer, one step deeper, one step more. And so God, on this day, may we be courageous enough to take that step, to embrace that challenge, and ultimately, as we slide closer to you, closer to the fire, may our hearts catch on fire for something that means something. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.